Welcome to Soul Desire Podcast, whose mission is to help people integrate their faith into every area of their life. All right, welcome to Soul Desire Podcast. My name is Luke Cottingham, once again, your host, and joining me for part two, Blake Brooks, Sam and Jerry. If you have not had a chance to listen to, please go back and listen to our part one episode so you can get a good grasp and understanding of our discussion. We're really focusing on different lenses within the church and where people stand and how we can have a really beautiful, fruitful dialogue that leads us more and more to the truth. I don't want to just get right into it. We're going to be focusing on a few different topics and getting both Blake's and Sam's view, liturgy, like a style of worship and anything to do with that, as well as we'll get in talk a little bit about gender roles. And finally, evangelization, ecumenism, and how that may differ. Or sim- Again, all these will find differences, but also similarities too. This is not, as I stated in the last podcast, this is not going to be a debate. But at the same time, I want to, I'll pose questions, but please feel free, feel free one, of, one of you starts talking. I don't have to be the one, throw the bone to the next person. You can ask each other questions and make this more uh, discussion between the two of you. I'll just occasionally jump in if we, if necessary. Otherwise, I just want to hear your guys' thoughts. I'm really excited to get going. Are you guys ready? Yes, sir. Awesome. Let's yeah, start with liturgy. And I guess to phrase the this first question, what do you think is the most ideal liturgy that style of worship that you appreciate, enjoy within the Catholic Church? I'll start. I think uh, for me, all I've ever known is the Novus Ordo, really, as far as what I've, where I've been. I mean, I'm, I was, you know, born well after the Second Vatican Council, and that was the norm. And I've, I've been to uh, other types of liturgies, Eastern uh, Rite stuff, or even, um, yeah, other rites. And then just, I've been to the Latin Mass several times. So, but for me, I, I really have no problem with the Novus Ordo. I also don't really have a problem with the uh, um, Trinitine Mass or the Latin right or the Latin Mass. Uh, I just I just am totally fine with the Novus Ordo. And I guess for for me, and I, so I'll just maybe say a little bit, and then I'll let Sam kind of go, and then right. we can I can kind of respond. Because for me, it's kind of yeah, like I never really even knew there was a about the history of it and about kind of maybe controversy even into seminary that much. To be honest with you, like it really, I never even really. I kind of knew that some people preferred really the Trinity right and stuff, but I didn't really know too much about it. And now I understand that there has, you know, the there is a lot of questions about it, like you know, or even abuses within uh, the Novus Order sometimes and. Uh, I think a lot of those, yeah, there are, there are like serious issues sometimes, but at the same time, I really do think that um, it can be a really beautiful celebration that way. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. I've just seen it done really well. Yeah. That's just kind of a start. What about your take, Sam? Or sorry, not your take. What do you, your, your uh, preference view on worship? Yeah. I just might surprise both of you, but I'm more of like a Croatian wisdom, be attentive kind of a guy. Um, if I've got some of that going on at my mass, I really like that. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> but I'm definitely not a Novus Bordo guy like you guys. No, I'm just kidding. That too is something I am averted to is like people who are like, dude, that mass after Vatican II is just so abhorrent and so terrible. No, it's it's a beautiful mass. And when it's done really well, it's I have no issues with it. I probably would pick it if it was like a high mass with like some chant, 
some smells and some bells, smells over bells even. Um, I would be <laughs> like, I would be like willing to say, all right, family, let's go to that mass, even over, certainly over a low Tridentine mass, but even maybe depending on the age of the people who are with me, like if it's just my wife and two little young kids, maybe I would say, let's go to the high Novus Ordo mass, like with a lot of the pomp and circumstance over the Tridentine high mass that you're not going to understand a ton of. But still, I like there to be some mystery in there because I never grew up with any of that. We would legit have somebody put in a tape deck in my home parish, like a, a CD or even a cassette. Don't remember if it was a CD or a cassette. But it, there were Monsignor uh, Brownsy always jokes because he w- said mass there one time and came time for the glory and you just heard a from the CDs changing. And so like, I never... I mean, I had good preaching for my. Been a great music director there. <laughs> yes, Coke Hasley, shout out. She was really awesome, actually. Saintly woman, but oh, so no mystery. Going from that, solid pastor growing up for sure, solid priest, holy guy. But as far as liturgy goes, it just wasn't bringing the. Uh, there wasn't anything that was like awe and majesty inspiring, right? I would say almost anybody there would say at the end of any Sunday, awe and majesty were not the two <laughs> words that came to their mind. <laughs> and so I think that's the key for me. That's kind of the bottom line is, is there awe and majesty? Because the mass is always capable of reaching that. But Sam, you know, you can read your Magnificat and do your homework before that mass. <laughs> there's no awe and majesty. You could taste it if you were the holiest, if you were the best version of yourself. Okay, you've got a point there, man. But let's be honest, the mass, it can do a lot of work for us too, man. It it can stand on its own two feet without us having to hustle a ton. Like there's part of a receptive nature, right? We are in the end going to be spousal to God and we are going to be in the position of receptivity in that relationship. And so I like when you can go to mass and it's not all work on your, you're not having to be terribly active, but you can be passive and that passivity, you receive something. You know, I, I understand the, the desire to be active when you don't feel like something's being given to you, right? I'm just the same. I don't want to sit behind in any environment and not feel like nothing's coming my way mm-hmm. that I'm not able to analyze or like receive and experience something. If you don't feel like you're experiencing anything at mass, if you feel like legit all you're saying in a robotone voice with everyone else is, Lamb of God who take us away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You know, like, that phrase should never be mumbled. And I, in fact, I repent for mumbling it just now. I, I desire never to do that again. Like, but the mass, when it's super low and not awe and majesty, it almost trains us to not have that sort of awe and reverence. And I guess that's really the one thing that I like to stay away from and that I wish we could all stay away from. No, and I've come, I'm not like naturally like that. Like where I, uh, I do, I do like a lot of, you know, smells and bells. I'm not as heavy on like on piety, you know, I think I, I, I am totally for it, but just naturally that's not as like important to me all the time. And as you know, I know a lot of people it is. Um, and I understand that though, but I also realize that like, we do need it. Like, you know, and, uh, I do think there's a, this is what I've really learned from listening to people that have a more traditional viewpoint or just that are fed really just that, that people are really fed that way. 
And I think it's a great thing, you know, and I think there's a lot of things, you know, we don't going to probably get into everything that can be done within either the Novus Ordo or just, you know, a Tridentine Mass. But yeah, I think it's important to one, have structure to not make up stuff in the, in the liturgy, which I mean, there's just so many abuses. So like, let's just outside of just those, I do, I think reverence is really important. I think the active participation is equally as important for some people. You know, I would say it's not like a huge thing for me, but I definitely prefer the, the active, the more active participation in the Novus Order than the Tridentine and just in the vernacular. That's a big thing for me. I really do like the vernacular, but I can understand why a lot of people might feel totally opposite. I don't have like a resolution because I know there's a lot of people that think you, you know, these, we can't necessarily have both of these at the same time because we've never had that or something in the church. And, it doesn't seem to me that the church has officially said that by any means. So for now, I mean, I definitely just, I, I like, you know, if the church can continue to feed people in both ways um, and do so honoring all the, the kind of timeless principles that we've had, that's what I'm a fan of. Yeah. Cause you know, like in the Byzantine liturgy, divine liturgy, of the Byzantine, it certainly looks even different than the, the Tridentine Latin mass, but I'm, I'm totally fine with that existing. 99 times out of 100, I would go to a Tridentine mass over it, probably. Well, let's, if, if there was singing at it, you know, if there was a singing at that trad mass or something, I'd rather go to that. Um, but I'm totally cool with that still existing as its own mm-hmm. thing, not detached, but part of the same body, but its own sort of a, a deal. Something came to my mind when we were talking about that. All I was going to say was, to, to Blake's point about the vernacular, I actually, for the sake of those who I want to fall in love with, with my taste in liturgy, because I do believe it's a, it's objectively on a, on a higher plane. Like generally my taste is just better than, no, I'm just kidding. But like for liturgy, like the, the, the smells and bells, a, gr- a beautifully chanted mass where the, the um, text of the chant actually matches what the readings were for that day's mass. I think there's something extra amazing and cool about that for the sake of them be being able to bridge that gap between what I think is objectively more beautiful and what I want them to experience and see with me, you know, like that's what our face is about, right? Come and see, come the Lord Jesus is over here. I've seen him. I've experienced him. Come see that when you bring them to the Tridentine mass and perhaps the thing that's standing between them seeing what you have seen a little bit of, and that you try and go see each, each Sunday, if that's the Latin in it, why can't that be vernacular? I'm with you. Like, I, I kind of wish, I've talked with friends about this who prefer the Tridentine form of the Mass. I wish there was a vernacular version of it. And maybe that too would allow us to get our collects and, and the parts of the Mass that are different. In the, and it seems like the permission for that Mass to have, to be celebrated each Sunday in different parts of the church it seems like it's creating more of a divide because they're on a different calendar than this. I think that's a bit ridiculous too, like the different calendars. Why can't we bring them together, but let the two liturgies be permitted in their own ways. Purists about the trad mass would hate that idea. They'd hate that. I've even mentioned vernacular. They think it's a cuss word, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's just a shame because I think that if that could exist, it would be a nice bridge. Yeah. No, and there's other bridges. Like I'm, I'm for Latin in the Novus Order sometimes, you know, too, mm-hmm. or, you know, um, ch- certainly some chant, just like meaning behind it for sure. 
uh, I'm pretty cool with ad orientum, you know, at times I don't, I wouldn't necessarily have to have, but I, there's things like that, that I'm, yeah, I'm very much open to as well. I just want there to be, yeah, I think there needs to be a lot of times the meaning and then the meaning explained to people. That's the tougher thing sometimes. And yeah. just, and lot, sometimes it's just that they have to experience it, you know, too, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm in a similar vein though, of just coming from a different perspective, but that same attitude of like, let's, uh, let's, let's help people to really encounter God and to, you know, um, grow. That's the most important thing rather than how we feel about it. If you were to like bring, uh, trying to bring someone into the faith, you're having that discussion about your conversion and what you love about the church. Your, your answer may be obvious to this question based on which your viewpoint, but would you rather take them to Novus Ordo mass or Trinitine mass? I'm, I'm legitimately asking because I'm wondering if you both would say the same thing or would you go? I'm, I'm curious what you think. I would take them to the brothers of St. John for <laughs> Sunday mass. I think that's an easy like bridge that yeah. exists in our locale. It's like, you'll hear chant. It's going to be, I think in English, sometimes it's in Latin. Um, but like, mm-hmm. it's going to be music. That's like not irrelevant to that specific day mm-hmm. in the liturgy. Right. Um, Cause the collects always kind of match up with some theme in the readings for that right. day. They're never like divorced or super random. And so it's nice when the songs can be related to, you know, if you go to a Corpus Christi mass and the parish is so clueless that they're singing, like sing a new church into being when they should be singing the Pange lingua that Sunday, even if it's got English lyrics, like it should all jive if insofar as it can. And I like that I could go out there and trust hmm. they're going to experience like this cohesive thing. The more cohesive it is, the more I think they can actually take something away that day. Or would you lead someone Blake to the most ideal kind of mass that you'd want someone to view as they're coming into the church yeah it just depends on who they are you know if they're like you know some people are just it's different um i I definitely know people where they they would just be turned off by really traditional things and so i'd probably Mm -hmm. take my home parish which is pretty regular it's a regular sunday mass it's nothing too wild and crazy you know um but if they were really like getting into Catholicism, they really wanted something. I would probably, yeah, something like where Sam was saying, or the cathedral that we have. Yeah, they, they do so beautifully there as um, well. You know, it's just some parish where. It's, so I think it depends where the person's at. I don't think the mass should be. You know, it is what it is. It's not our only evangelizing tool. I feel right. that's a podcast. I feel very passionate about like the mass doesn't have to be the only thing that you can do as a Catholic to evangelize people by any means. But yeah, it's it's the prime place of worship God. So yeah, I don't know. I, it depends on the person, I guess, is what I answer. But I think um, it's not the only answer to yeah. how we can encounter, like really grow in their faith too. That's a great point. I think it does depend on the person. And, and if you know them to any degree, the vibes you're getting from them. Yeah, totally. That goes totally into evangelization. I mean, we could jump right to that one just to kind of sure. continue. Yeah, our, your views on evangelization. And ecumenism, dialogue between other faiths. Where do you, uh, where do you guys stand with that? What do you think is an effective way to bring someone into the the church? Well, like I had said in the part one, just talking about my own uh, personality is to really find the seeds of truth in the culture. So I'm very much focused on, you know, just where where people are at in in the world, you know, and so that's just my natural tendency is to start, you know, with that and to start with the human elements of things. It, it depends on where a person's at in that sense too. But I think I'm very open to dialoguing with people, you know, and to really 
meeting them where they're at. I think that's a pretty modern thing in the Catholic Church. I mean, obviously Jesus did that, so it's been there for the beginning, you know, but that's just my natural kind of perspective a lot of times. I will say, though, that like something that has really struck me, though, is that at times you really have to pay attention to a person's like uh, where they're at. You know, and you don't know completely their intentions and where their heart is at. But something that's really struck me, though, is that we can't just only meet people where they're at. This is something I've talked with Sam about is like, I've realized that some people, they just want the church to change. They don't have any interest in conversion and in conforming their life to God's will at all. They want God's will to be what, what their will already is. And I think as a church, we got to be very careful, especially with how the culture has become very secular, that we pay attention to the kinds of people. You know, if you're dealing with poor, broken people, absolutely meet them where they're at, walk with them, you know, be very patient. And then with, there's some people, though, that they're really far from the church and they, they want the church to change. And they, they'll use some pretty wicked means sometimes and very cleverly trying to change the church. And I think at this point in particular, we have to be really careful about distinguishing between those people, not so much judging their eternal salvation, but when we deal with people, sometimes you just got to shake the dust off your boots and move on. I think there's a real quick, I think there's like a naivety when you first come into, or maybe reconversion or coming into the faith where, and it's beautiful that you've, I remember feeling so on fire with the faith and it's almost, um, you're over, maybe overzealous and you feel like you can conquer the world and bring anyone, anyone to Christ. And of course uh, we can, but the problem even with my statement is it's the Holy Spirit that leads, you know, if I'm taking that like role on, like I'm going to, I can give me like the greatest sinner in the world and I will uh, share the faith with them. I I think it's important to understand that there's going to be failures. There's going to be people that I've seen that have that conversion or reconversion in college and then lose it. And I was naive to think that once you had that metanoia, that they'll never fall away again. And I got to admit that even shook at time, shook my faith a little bit. I agree with pretty much everything Luke just said. There's a naiveness that you have to kind of grow out of with that. Yeah, I think the naiveness can sometimes serve God's aims. You know, it could pull you further in. But ultimately, there's that decision point where you do realize that it's more real than than those early emotions and stuff. But and then you make your decision, you know. But that's just on the point of early infatuation <laughs> with uh, with how cool the faith seems at first. Ecumenism, I see that as a different animal than evangelical yeah, approach yeah, to a degree. And so I'll first kind of make a comment on that or so. And that is evangelical approach. It does it does depend on the background of the person, how how you engage them. But I think that's one thing we really left the other day, more understanding each other when we were talking about this, the degree to which the people that we appreciate most probably in the fray, like Bishop Barron, you know, he does an excellent job at being very attractive person, not like physically um, attractive <laughs> with like a catching force of his beauty necessarily. That's for people to judge. I'm not analyzing that right now. What I'm talking about is the catching force of his presentation, the faith, and it's very attractive is there ever a line where they have an opportunity to say something and they're just probably a little afraid to because of their platform? I think that was brought up. If not, I'm bringing it up right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's certainly, I mean, if I was in his position, I'd absolutely have to face that decision point. Fulton Sheen had to face it many times. I'm sure Bishop Barron, I'm sure has faced it many times. And 
many times he's done far greater than I could have imagined somebody doing other times, not so much. And I, I hope he's okay with people judging that. Like, that's one thing that I find is a little strange about the milieu of our times is that some of the people who are arguing rah-rah for tolerance or for see it from my perspective, see me reaching out, see me just really stretching evangelically. Can't you see like, as I'm on the front lines of the evangelization, it's hard. Why are you judging me? Wait, is it a judgment or a criticism? Because criticism should be allowed. It's exactly what you're saying. Like you wish you saw more of, but sometimes the moment that it's there, people start getting pissed and then they start invoking the partisanship. I'm not saying word on fire does that a ton. All I'm saying is with our leaders who are definitely more willing to be, to not be like so stuck in the mud, like a Taylor Marshall, like, unless you're doing the Latin bravery, you ain't on my level, homie. You know, it's like these people are in a totally different sort of a vein of, of outreach and kudos to them for that. And so like, for example, Bishop Barron on the other day on Dave Rubin's podcast with this rabbi, but I really was glad to hear i was listening in the shower i listened to the rabbi then i listened to bishop baron chime in and dave's question to both of them was something like what are we to glean in these crazy times in the world spiritually the rabbi said one thing that was kind of it was good but it was kind of innocuous as far as christ goes of course it was Mm -hmm. but he had him on at easter for a reason and so bishop baron went after and said something about like christus vincit or something like christ is risen and like christ conquers i'm like Dude, you know, that takes some like some stones to step on there in front of a rabbi and say, hey, that line that separates us, I'm clearly demarcating where I stand and I'm inviting everyone who's listening. I know some of them are Jews to Christianity. I appreciated that. I thought that was bold, bolder than a Taylor Marshall because Taylor Marshall's not getting invited on those shows for reasons, right? Because it's not the, the way he's walking. But then you got like Bishop Barron. I appreciated the way people were criticizing him for being on what's this, Ben Shapiro a few years ago. And Ben Shapiro asked him, do you think I'm saved? And, and I think he used the Vatican II thing in a way that was probably inappropriate at that time. I think definitely we're not any of us to walk up to any given person and be like, you're damned because you're not in the one true church. You're not in the bulwark of Peter. All the, the rabbi thing, the rabbi conversation with Deirun, yeah, what a laudatory action on Bishop Barron's part. Why can't the people who would praise that also criticize the way Bishop Barron kind of didn't, when Ben Shapiro said, do you think I'm going to be saved? Why couldn't he have said, you probably ought to believe in the Christ? You know, I, I wanted to hear him say that. Why do I have to be sad to say that and feel like I'm betraying my word on fire, homies? Like, You know, that's kind of like how I feel about ecumenism. Reach, 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 stretch, stretch, stretch. One thing I want to say, can I say something? Yeah. So I I don't I think what you said is totally good. I think I just want to point out that I think a problem that happens in our times a lot of times is that people throw stones, like just to throw stones, you know, like they some people that's out of goodwill and you can do fraternal correction. And even if you're wrong, I still think you can do it if you have a spirit of goodwill and not contempt and you're seeking the truth, and you're not just trying to tear down somebody because you don't see it from their view, like right away, you know, or you have an agenda, which I think there's a ton of that right now is tribalism, even inside the church, where 
what happens is it's not so much that people just criticize. This happens on both sides, but they, they're trying to tear down the other person. Try to, they use like, you know, basically straw men to, they say, well, this is what they said. And, you know, and look at how ridiculous yeah. that is. And it happens on both, uh, both fronts. And I think that's nice. just a supplement to what you said. I think absolutely what you're saying is correct. Like, and even that, that uh, I haven't seen those pretty much sounds like that was very reasonable you know, a way to look at both of those. I think they're just, yeah, there can be, and there can be disagreement over it, but just that goodwill versus the contempt, you know, and how we criticize. If you criticize by like saying, Hey, like, can you explain this to me? Cause this is what it seemed like to me. And I, I didn't really like that. You know, like if there's more of that, I think there's going to be a lot better dialogue, you know, or meeting of the minds than uh, just, I feels like a lot of times people are just trying to win and like win the show, the argument, you know, on the online clips. It definitely does. And that's why, like, at, at the same time, I'm inviting people being open to criticism of themselves by others. Mm-hmm. I understand that's why they don't, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's not fun. I, I don't want to be a podcaster out there, like with a huge podcast, because people are savages, man. Yeah. It's freaking like heartbreaking how mean people are and how like, yeah, yeah just why do you got to say it's so rude? But I think another thing that I feel like would come from it, if people on either side, we're like really being good about it. Like, like as good as they could be, you know, cause like we acknowledge there's a degree of goodwill on both sides. There's both people are marching towards what they think are, are great now, but everybody needs to be open to fraternal correction. How does that happen? Probably doesn't happen the, the most tasteful way where you want to receive it and respond to it when somebody berates you on another podcast. But if you've heard somebody criticize you in a reasonable way, I wish that those were more often why haven't I heard either of those parties just like with their platform, admit they're wrong on something, retract something, say sorry about something. I don't know. I feel like you've listened to more Bishop Barron than I have. You might've heard him do that. I've never heard Taylor Marshall do that. I've heard Tim. I think what you said about a big, when you get a big platform, it happens with politicians and stuff too. They don't really need to apologize, you know? And they, uh, and so I think it does become harder because it's a certain type of political correctness, you know, like, well, I might like agree with you, but I can't say it publicly because I still want to make my main point and I want to please my crowd that kind of sees things from my point of view, but we shouldn't be about building and amassing crowds. You know, we should be about, yeah, like finding the truth. And so I I agree with you. I I think people should, I think, you know, there should be a lot more goodwill criticism if there's going to be and not kind of in a mean spirit. But then once there is, yeah, somebody say, Hey, you know what? I still believe in my main point, but let me address what you're saying, or at least try to have for some explanation. And rather than just kind of, like I said, build up a straw man, like, oh, okay, all these people are radicals over here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that fatherhood, which anyone who's a male who's out there representing the truth of Catholicism has a degree of spiritual fatherhood, even if, you know, that person is going to quickly go and find like a straight up spiritual father in their parish church because of what they've heard on their podcast or their latest you know, online theology where whatever paternity necessitates the humility enough to kids better see their dad admitting they're wrong. Sometimes it just better happen. Mm-hmm. Otherwise that dad is not being who he's supposed to be. In fact, I'd say if you've gone your whole, if you've gone two decades to three decades without saying, admitting you're wrong mm-hmm. on something and kind of being humble before your family, dude, you're, you, you failed. You need to yeah. change that. And I need to walk that walk, you know, with the next couple of decades I got, they better right. see that in me too, or else I'm not, you know, doing what I'm saying is right. But um, good, I just want to see that a lot more. 
I want to see that a lot more. The person we slapped in the middle of our spectrum earlier was Matt Frad. And I will say something I really admire about him. I've listened to him for a very long time now, a couple of years, almost every episode. Me too. And I remember one time early on, he was just like, I see some of you people in the comments. You just said, I just never let my, my interviewee talk. Like you just kept saying it and saying it and just lathering it on. And it freaking hurt. It freaking hurt. <laughs> and like, he was just like, but you know what? I hear it. I hear it loud and clear. And then he just kind of was talking about how he was going to do different the next few episodes and really try and be cognizant of letting the person who he's on his show talk. And he's really good at it now, I think. Really good at it. But that was the one time I've heard a podcaster. Actually, no, that's not fair either. Tim Gordon, too, talked about how he was like really um, surprised. And it took it was like a growth process for him to be surprised that he realized that Vatican II was an authentic ecumenical council and stuff like this. Those moments stick out to me and automatically give that person, even if they're a little person with a little platform in the whole greater YouTube world, whatever, it gives them, I have, I have to have ongoing respect for them. Yeah. As long as I see goodwill in their argumentation and stuff and, and them being kind where they can to people and not going for the jugular all the time, Definitely positions going as hard as they want at positions they find to be wrong, but not associating that person with that position necessarily. I appreciate that. It then doesn't make me say, all right, I'm not going to listen to you for a while. One last thing I want to say is that can we all, can we both acknowledge, can we all acknowledge that cancel culture is used by each side just as like this terrible term conservatives will be like, man, they're freaking canceling all of us. But then if they have a platform online, they'll be like, They'll be like such and such said that um, you know this or that's wrong. Everybody unsubscribe. I'm telling you right now, unsubscribe. It's like, what are you saying, man? Yeah. You're cancel culture all day as well. Yeah, yeah, you're so, right. Yeah, you're right. I totally want to make that a. I think that is going to be another topic in a future show. And my only comment to that is the problem with cancel culture is that there's no chance for redemption. And I think that our faith, like, always offers that it may look different their, their cancel culture has a point at times that there needs to be consequences but we know deep down that um the father is always running to us and desires us to be back within his fold so i like that you pointed out that it's on both sides too i think that's really uh, good to acknowledge but uh moving on to let's go into our third one can within the church today be one of the more controversial ones uh, speaking of gender roles in the church, I think the other two are some, the other two we went to are, are easier to talk about and easier to find agreement in. And I know that you both are, I believe we're discussing the Matt Frad, Timothy Gordon pot first time they got together talking about it, maybe a year ago about gender roles. They, they talked about a lot of things, but mm-hmm. I know that was the most pushback. I believe that Matt Frad was, um, cause Timothy Gordon, much more traditional in his view on gender and women's role within the church, men, man's role. Uh, yeah, I just want to kind of hear your both of your views on that. Yeah, well, let me start with this because this is something that I think um, I really, it really kind of struck me with with their interview because um, he really late. He they, this guy Tim Gordon, he's working on a book. I think it's almost done, but about uh, patriarchy and kind of is there really a, a authentic feminine or uh, feminism. 
and he really like goes through the history of feminism. And I, he's been on a couple of different podcasts and, and, uh, I really was um, impressed with his ability to cite church documents from several different eras in the history of um, the church and even up to the second Vatican council, which he, he's really, he was really um, concerned with the roles of like women within the family and work and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that's the only understanding of roles. Like, you know, that's part of it, but there, there's really more so just about like the relationship between a husband and a wife as well. And just the, just a, a woman's role in the broader culture. And so, I'll, but I just, I was really struck by his ability to bring up a tradition. And I think it's, it's really backwards in our culture. And I say that as someone who really was not that concerned with it, you know, up front. but I, the longer I live and the crazier our world gets, the more I've looked back and said, you know what, we really need to reevaluate as much as it's not politically correct, you know, we have to be able to look at, you know, um, some of this tradition, not just even within the Catholic church, but in the history of mankind, you know, of human beings mm-hmm. and really just not throw out everything that happened, you know, uh, before the last 50 years, you know? And, uh, so for me, what I'm really yeah concerned with is that people, they, they're so obsessed with equality that they can't see difference, you know, like we're so hyper concerned with equality that we can't see the difference that God has given us. And this is outside of just men and women. It can be in all of creation. But I think I see it, yeah, particularly with men and women, the ability to to not see complementarity, you know, to not see equality as something that's kind of um, indignity, but then in, you know, um, practicality, there's there's difference, which is complementary. And people just, they don't want to see it, like at all. And I think, I understand that there's been a lot of um, abuse and maybe things that have been directed towards women, especially from men, but I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater as far as that unbelievable just complementarity between men and women. And I have a lot more to say, but I'll just stop there to see if Sam, like if he has anything initially. Not really, man. Really well said. (laughs) Well, I just think like there's a lot more you can get into when it comes to like gender roles and women working in the house, you know, once they're married and stuff. That's very, there's a lot to that. And, um, but I think just my general approach is that just what I said, to start with like who men and women are, Mm -hmm. I think, and then it goes from there to, you know, um, to relationship, romantic relationship and ultimately marriage between men and women about, um, you know, what is that relationship? Well, certainly there's a partnership that's kind of horizontal, but there's also, this is where the controversy comes in, but it's obviously in the Bible, you know, with St. Paul says it, and it's been around, but the idea of that men are ahead of a household, women, um, you know, provide, uh, you know, a partnership in that, but that they definitely look to the husband to lead. And I know that's really controversial, but obviously their Catholic response has always been, you know, that, well, the, the husband has to, you know, love the bride, like Christ loved the church, you know, type thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's, it's a role for service, not for aggrandizement or something like that. And the reason why I think this is relevant between these topics, between traditional and modern is because, well, just where the culture at is in our times, a lot of times John Paul II, you know, talked about, he wrote the, the document on the dignity of uh, women and their vocation. And Timothy Gordon, other people, I mean, they take a pretty 
strong view on some of this. Some traditional people don't like the turn that has happened in the last 50 years, even inside the church, about talking about authentic feminism. And uh, we're not going to like solve that debate right now because you have to get into text and talk about like what does feminism actually mean? I would encourage people to go listen to Trent Horn, talk with Timothy Gordon. They're I listened to that one too. Yeah, they really get down. They kind of argue a lot, and but that was a they tough one. To, yeah. yeah, but they're trying to get down to the truth of like you know things. So they get into a lot more detail about it. But I think my goal is just for us to acknowledge from both sides. And I, I guess I'm kind of defending a more traditional view. That's more what it more sounds like to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because what I think is, I think we just take some things for granted, like, Oh, well, women, they are, you know, they have to be feminine and stuff and they have to be supportive, but they basically can do, you know, um, they can kind of, you know, their role doesn't have to be just a homemaker. And I'm not saying that it has to be a homemaker, but like it does talk about like nurturing the kids and, uh, and again, if you're not married or you're married and you don't have kids, there's a lot of different scenarios, but I just think like, we can't get too far away from the ideal. And trust me, me and my wife are constantly working on this. We don't have it figured out. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I want to point out is that men and women, like this has been going on since the beginning. Like, I think a lot of it is on the shoulders of men for basically being passive, like Adam in the garden and not fulfilling their responsibilities and therefore, it really makes women feel like they have to shoulder everything in society. You know, they have to do so much because men are basically not able to do it. And um, I just think that's the lie that we can't buy into. The lie from the garden that says that, you know, men are just lazy and lustful and they're never going to be even better than that. And that women must then take on everything. And they're, they, they're the only way that, you know, everything's going to happen is if they kind of step in and do what men should be doing already. Yes. And, um, you know, one thing that I heard come up in that talk you're referencing that first talk with Matt Fred and Tim Gordon, where they were talking about this. I, I feel like I remember if you're not there somewhere else, I think I've heard Tim Gordon, like criticize the John Paul, II referencing the term the reciprocity mutual submission mutual mutual submission you know he had an issue with that based on the history of the church and how the church has seen the subordination within the marital covenant and you know i think that probably drew the ire of some you know commenters online and uh and i think some of those commenters were probably of goodwill but not of good reason right like their heart was in the right spot I need to come to John Paul II's defense because somebody's out here criticizing him. But because I love John Paul II, that's goodwill, but it's not good reason. Like, oh, is John Paul II in every word he uttered completely infallible? No. So if someone's criticizing him and using like history with it, should I be open to that? Yes. And, and I know I'm still proving an earlier point that we've already agreed on, which is like, healthy criticism we ought to be open to it mm-hmm. i want to discover more of what that the true view of that has been through the history and not just as recent as 1900s although i also want to listen to that mm-hmm. you know because yeah. if it can build if it's building on it i want to know how it's building on it is it just is that mutual submission thing just a semantical thing that if i read the rest of that chapter of that book would i further understand that he still left room for the, you know, like in a game time decision, man gets to make the call, you know, if, if so that the family can operate and keep, keep on moving. 
if that's there in that same chapter, well, then I stand corrected in my outright like pissed offedness at the mutual submission term. But if it never referenced it, it, it seems to be confusing with latter days, elder times. Yeah. No, I just think, yeah, just given how crazy our culture is with men and women and relationships and stuff like this, I just totally agree. There has to be an openness to talking about the tradition of things without just cutting it off like, oh, well, we totally know the world so much better off than it was before in every aspect that we can't look at it. I'm like, I feel the exact opposite. The world is crazier than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And we need to consider all, you know, um, reason on the table, all tradition. And yeah, not throw out, not try to go backwards, you know, take everything that's been, that's been development in the history of men and women, um, especially women and, and their dignity. But, but let's not like, let's, let's not throw out, you know, all of history and all of church teaching and stuff as well. It reminds me of that Matthew McConaughey. Sometimes you got to go backwards to go forwards. That's kind of what you're arguing against. You're saying don't go backwards, but I think you actually, we both agree with to go backwards as far as information gathering to bring it into the forwards so that we're prepared. And, you know, so Matthew was right after all. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. You weren't criticizing Matthew. No. All right. All right. right. (laughs) But I guess, yeah, even just to keep going even further, like specifically, what do you both see? You could reference your own, the way your own um, family is structured, but the, the man's role with the fa- within the family and, and, uh, and the woman's role within the family, how do you see that within your own life? Or how do you see that working most ideally to follow what church, uh, the church teaches, what sacred scripture teaches? Well, I just think initially, you know, there's a lot to it, but I think, I think a man as a provider, as a protector, as a leader, I think those are all standard things. I think a woman as a nurturer, as, um, you know, bringing gentleness and um, loveliness into the family, into the home, and just using all of her gifts um, in the world as well, not just in the home, but, but also not forgetting in the home. I think those are just some places that I see it initially. And just the, like I said, the complementarity, there's also, it's not just, I don't see it just hierarchical, but also um, horizontal, you know, mutual. I think it's both dimensions. And where do you feel, feel you stand with that, Sam? I've seen a lot of married couples in my day. And uh, there's a, basically a parable that's been spoken to me by lived experience through, what am I, 31 now? And that is... When the man is not able to, to be considered as the provider and to, um, yeah, I'm just going to say it simply, to not be considered as the provider and with the degree of authority that comes with that, I've seen deep frustration in that relationship or those relationships to keep it general and uh, save myself some hot waters. And I don't like how that's, I don't like my experience of watching that play out someone wanting to get to make healthy decisions, not like abusive decisions with the authority that should come with being the provider and protector. So when that role isn't clearly embraced by both sides, I've seen his authority and his ability to lead stripped from him. And it's not made anyone around the situation feel good. And that, that spoke a sermon to me. And so that's how I'm trying to lead my family is, Hey, let's be clear here. I'm going to lead with charity 
and, and it, I need to, like, that's the ideal, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not perfect, but I want to lead with charity and I want to lead. Um, I don't want you to lead our family, Leah. I want to be able to lead our family and let's pray together. Let's have, you know, conversation. Let's be in communion together so that I don't abuse that. But I'm the Joseph here. Like if we have to go to Egypt, mm-hmm. I'm the one throwing us on that, that donkey. And I'm the one like packing our bags and I'm the one with the ax in my hand or the sword. That's me. You know, you don't have to like wonder if you're supposed to be that too. That's me, you know? And so like, Anything that falls under that is, I guess, just like a trickle down effect. Like, does that mean that I get to be, try and be the sole provider at this stage in our life? It absolutely does for our family. I'm trying to be the one that's providing monetarily through labor. And a byproduct of that is me not having time to cook three hots and, and to make the cot in the morning. Like, thanks God. Like it works out that she can do that for our family. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate her homemaking. And she's pretty much, I kind of appoint her the chief kind of pedagogue of our kids, our teacher of our kids at this moment in time. Um, And that works really well. I know I'm going to have to step into that role at times too, because as the church tells us, the family, the parents are the chief teachers of their children and the chief formators. And I don't want to like relinquish that, but I do want to uh, delegate that to her right now. And it's working out, you know, we haven't started homeschooling our kids to a huge degree, but we will be. And that's my read on how I'm supposed to live that ideal and that role for myself and her at this stage in our life. So I hope that was personal enough to sound like it was actually coming from me and impersonal enough to sound like I'm not like, and everybody else in my surrounding area without qualification needs to be doing the exact same thing. I pray that that's how it's received because you put yeah. me on the damn spot. No. bro. <laughs> you articulated it really well. And I know I, I totally take it. That's your take on it. And um, I just think you stated it really charitably. And again, people will disagree, but people will also see beauty and truth in what you're saying. And it's, a, I, yeah, I think it's important to understand that it's going to look different for families. Yeah. You didn't say it like that at all. So that, that was good. Thanks, what, what, oh, yeah. Thank you. Any response, Blake, to no, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the same principles, I think, I think this, the, it's just men need to lead and they need to, they not need to be like someone to pat them on the back to lead. Like they, they, and I mean, that is not just like dictatorial, you know, authoritarian, but like they need to serve. If men just serve and step up and serve and just keep serving, I think it'll become, you know, more acceptable some of these, you know, um, gender roles and kind of more tradition. And again, I think there's definitely ability for some variance to some degree, but I think it should always be looked at um, through the, the ideals, you know, and the tradition that we have been handed down to us. Not, like I said, just from the church, but also just through natural, you know, progression in human history, you know, like that just kind of naturally shows itself. So, yeah, I think people need to just perfectly discern it, you know, and uh, I think they need to look to the church for some things to make sure, you know, we don't get out of bounds. I agree with Sam that, you know, people just need to, that's what I've been struck by is people that, you know, have lived the ideal. And I think, you know, 
even if they have to sacrifice to do it, they sacrifice certain things to make, you know, these things that are really important to them work. Like he said, so it's, there's not just frustration because the world says you got to have all these extra things. It's like, well, let's focus on what we really need. So we have peace. And then, you know, whatever else we have in worldly terms we have, you know, we don't, you're not leaving your family destitute or anything, but like, you know, if you have the essentials, then, then we'll see where we're at from there, you know? Yeah. Dude, that is honestly a huge topic that's brought that you just brought up that obviously we can't get into, but I just want to point it out is like stuff and, and values <laughs> I, I What's important can totally affect the way people would live out their perception of the ideal of gender roles within marriage, particularly their desire for things, their perception of how many of those things or in what quality those things need to be as far as physical goods. Yeah. And I think it's a process. That's why I say it's a process to always just to ongoing. Yeah. It's just beautiful to, again, to see how much that both of you have an agreement and uh, within it too. Uh, we got, got through our three topics. Is there anything in, in closing that you want to say either to restate anything you've said before or to say something that you really maybe appreciated about what um, the other uh, brought forth to the table today to kind of close us up? Yeah, man, I just appreciate the everything about it. I, I think it went really well. Thanks for uh, everybody helping me dip my toes in the podcast waters. It was a pleasant experience. And the Soul Desire podcast was a very welcoming environment for me, to be honest. Keep it 100 and uh, to have a, a good time. No, I just was appreciative, too, for Sam for coming on and talking about these different views. I think it was a good uh, mix of, you know, kind of where we're at, where there's a lot of agreement, but there's also still, you know, different viewpoints. Anyone that's seeking the truth, you know, I think we just really show that that's um, what we're about in charity and that we're all brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And that's what's most important. Yeah, if I might say one more thing, too. Because I think we all agree on this. And that is, you know, like, for example, when we were getting into all the specifics earlier, when we were talking about rules and otherwise, we do acknowledge that the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is at the forefront of everything that we're kind of discussing, debating, arguing, presenting. But we're figuring out how we can be the best disciples of Jesus we can be, even though we forget that's the true aim in some of our dealings the way we like behave, just our person, the way we live out our faith, that is the overarching ideal that we continue to come back to. And thankfully us three men, I know would agree that that is like the focal point, what it all could be boiled down to as far as like a phrase of what we're all after. We're trying to figure out how big that middle is the healthy middle where there can be diversity of thought healthily. And you're still, like clinging to your discipleship of Christ, wanting to live that as perfect as you possibly can. You know, there was 12 apostles. They didn't have monolithic personalities. They weren't all the same person, Mm. but they were all like really trying to be, to lose their identity in their discipleship. And I think that's what we're trying to do. It's like be disciples. So yeah, rules, love them, but discipleship. Yes, let's get it. Amen to that. Uh, Thanks on that note. Thanks for joining us on Soul Desire Podcast.